Before we get into the show, here's a quick word from HubSpot. Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing at a startup is hard work. Thankfully, HubSpot for Startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. HubSpot's all-in-one platform connects your teams together. Plus, they have a bunch of resources to help you scale, and they offer discounts of up to 90% off. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for Startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I'm your co-host, Kit Bodner. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Kieran Flanagan, and we have a show for you all today. We are talking marketing lessons from Mr. Beast. Mr. Beast is one of the best creators, marketers, YouTubers on the planet. We've got five amazing marketing lessons that anyone can apply in their day-to-day to get better. I am so excited. Kieran, are you ready to talk Mr. Beast today or what? Very ready. Okay. I, I know that you and I have both done our fair share of Mr. Beast deep dives, but I know you have a couple of things that you want to share. So I want to turn the floor over to you to do a little breakdown of Mr. Beast. This is really not the video for how do I just mimic Mr. Beast and become a great YouTuber. This no. is truly for marketing-minded people, people who truly believe that marketing is the way that we actually get the things we want in life. And so this is how you can actually be a better marketer. And I've got five things Ooh. that I think Mr. Beast does really well that anyone can integrate into their workflow to do better marketing. Yes. And so the first one I want to talk about is one of my favorite stories, because if you can get this integrated into your workflow, you're going to be much, much more successful. And that's quick feedback loops. Oh, yeah. How do I get really quick feedback loops on what work and what doesn't? And so there's a really great story from Mr. Beast. He set up this group with four friends and these four friends were fanatics like him about YouTube. Their only goal between the five of them was how do I become much more successful on YouTube? How do I become much bigger on YouTube? So what they did was they set up these morning Skype calls and they would be on these morning Skype calls for hours each and every day for a thousand days in a row. <laughs> that is the grind. That is the grind I'm talking That's about. That's three years, baby. Three, years, three years of just getting your ass kicked. People telling you every day, Oh, this thing you made that you thought was good. Here are all the things that are bad about it and how you can make it better. Something that we actually have <laughs> lost a lot in the workplace, I think, over the years is honesty. Like we struggle yes. to be honest. He got friends who would roast each other's content. And then they would do these crazy experiments where they would take a thousand thumbnails and they would increase the brightness of them or increase certain colors and like iterate and try to figure out what works and what doesn't. And if you actually think about that feedback loop, let's say I'm a single person trying to work at YouTube. My feedback loop is I put something live and then maybe in a couple of weeks, I can figure out if it works or not. Think about if you have a group of five people all trying to learn the same thing. On the Friday, someone learns something, gives it back to the group. On the Monday, someone learns something, gives it back to the group. On the Wednesday, someone learns something, gives it back to the group. Holy sh! like your progress is going to be much, much faster. That's why I actually believe niche communities. Oh, okay. I see where you're going here. Are going to be so much more powerful in the future. Because they have tight feedback loops. Tight feedback loops. And actually it made me think about what online communities am I a part of that I want to get really good feedback loops on? And I think I want to try to integrate them into my life. I love the feedback. My take on this, first of all, is like, it's not just quick feedback loops. Most people just can't take feedback. Oh, let's, let's go there. 
Let's go there. Most Let's go there. people are soft. Most people are. What word can I use? They can't take feedback or criticism about the work they've done. Most people are whiners. I operate under a life principle that I did the best thing I could at the time and I'm going to do it better the next time. So give me all the hell you want about the thing I just made because I know it's not perfect. I'm going to make it better and better and better and it's never going to be perfect. But if you are trying to win, first step is being able to take and listen to feedback. The second step actually is what you're just talking about. How do you create feedback loops to get that feedback really quickly? And feedback, by the way, happens in two ways. It happens qualitatively from peers or coworkers or friends. And it also happens quantitatively through the data that you see. Like I've always thought if you're a marketer, one of the best advantages you have is to work at a company that has a lot of data, has a lot of customers, prospects and everything, because you can test and iterate on your experiments and your ideas just way faster than everybody else in the world. And your advantage in this world is learning faster. Right. You change your life by outlearning everyone, not by being better than everybody, but by outlearning them. And I think that is one of my big lessons from Mr. Beast. As Mr. Beast is one of the best rapid learners in the world, he just happened to apply that to YouTube. Right. Right. You could apply that same methodology to anything. Right. That's why as a marketer, if you spend your life marketing to the Fortune 500, it's questionable, I think, how much you actually learn. Correct. I think the broader the product, the bigger subset of users who can use that product, the more you can actually learn, the more fun it is as well. Maybe that's just me, but that's one of the things I believe. It's harder to get feedback loops with a smaller group of people unless you do what Mr. Beast did and you say, hey, I'm going to create this small group of people and we're going to prompt each other to one, be really honest with each other and to share with each other so we all have the same level of skin in the game. I hate getting feedback from people who don't have skin in the game. Yes, I agree. Because they can just kind of say whatever they want, right? Oh, I like that. Actually, you I like that You know a lot. what I'm talking about here. You know the sh- feedback where it's like, oh, I don't know. I'm just going to give you feedback because I can. You know what? There's a guy who's actually got pretty popular like marketing assets, like podcast yeah. news that are no less. And he has this, how do I do this without like getting into a war here? He has this like very uh, opinionated points of view around marketing, which is part of the brand. And like he's given that advice to marketing leaders. And that person has only ever, I think, been like an IC digital marketing manager within a company. You can't take advice from people who haven't been in the trenches. And aren't doing the things with you. Like the thing that works with Mr. Beast's feedback loop is that they were all trying to be good at YouTube. They were at this kind of same level of their journey and could really learn from each other. So they were honest. I think the feedback loop lesson is huge. Right. And if you can't get feedback loops, just start with feedback. Most people just don't even get and take feedback well. If you did one thing over the next three months is just take feedback better, your whole life would change. All right, I'm going to talk about the second one. The second one is the hook. The one thing you will learn over time as a marketer is the hook is the most crucial part of everything you do, right? Yes. Actually, it's kind of incredible. Every day, users hit with a tsunami of content. There's about 7.5 million blog posts published each and every day. There's about 720,000 hours of YouTube content uploaded every single day. And so how do you actually stand out? Well, You cannot get people to consume the content if you cannot get people to click on the content. And the thing I love about Mr. Beast, and this is a YouTube example, but it's applicable to any type of marketing, like ads. I was reading a a really cool thing on ads 
In the 1970s, we used to see between 500 and 1,000 ads every single day, which is still a lot, actually, considering today it's like 4,000 and 10,000. And so like the hook (laughs) is how you have to stand out in this crowded world. There's a really great story about how Mr. Beast will obsess over the thumbnail and obsess over the title. He will actually extend his shoot of whatever video he's creating by days, by days just to get the right thumbnail because he truly knows that that thing is the thing that has an outsized impact on anything else, which is if I don't get that part right, if I don't get that input right, then no one else is going to see the rest of the work that I've created. And the thing I take from that for everyone and the people who are listening, I love to like just shoot across to you, Kip, is one of the things that always helped me coming from my computer science background and being a really bad software engineer into an okay marketer was I would distill problems into inputs. And then I would stack rank inputs and then I would only focus on the inputs that actually mattered, not focus on, on everything. And this is like Mr. Beast saying, well, like there's all of these things that actually matter, but if I don't need the thumbnail, nothing else matters at all. Right. Like yeah. I don't get that thing right. Nothing else matters at all. For folks watching and, and also hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. We'd love for you to be a YouTube subscriber or subscribe on your audio podcast app. Please, please subscribe. That being said, when we talk about a hook, the hook is essentially the idea and how the idea is packaged. And I think it's really important to understand because sometimes most people I talk to and know who make things get obsessed with one, but not both right? It's like they will have this really interesting, clever idea, but fail to make it clear and present it in a really interesting way or vice versa. They'll take a boring thing and present it in an interesting way, but it's like not that interesting still. And it's only, uh, you know, relevant to a handful of people. And so what you think about is like, how do you make sure you get the best ideas? And that's being clear on what's valuable to your audience, as well as trending topics, all of those things. And then the packaging them, Kieran, is what you were talking about, right? Which is like, how do you have the perfect title? How do you nail the thumbnail? Like, Kieran, you and I have spent, I think, in the last month, like five hours doing photo shoots just for thumbnails, right? right? Because we know, and I love the way you framed it a second ago, where it's like, if we have a great idea and we invest all this time and effort interviewing a guest or debating it or researching it, we want people to experience it and see it. And without the right title, without the right thumbnail, without the right packaging of that idea, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to see it. Right. And that is our way to say, if you were doing anything that is marketing related, be clear on the hook. And the hook is, is this idea interesting and good to my audience, as well as is it packaged in a interesting way that people will get immediately? Right. And that's where the thumbnail and and title really come on in YouTube specifically. Yeah. And you can package these two into the hook and then the actually the other one that I think is really interesting. So there's kind of two metrics that really care when you're trying to create things to get people to consume, which is, is that person going to click on it to give me the opportunity to like meet their expectations? And then when I do that, can I meet and exceed their expectations? So the first part is really the hook. The second part that I think Mr. Beast does really well, and again, is a really great lesson for all of the market-minded people who want to try to get better at their craft, is to meet expectations and then exceed expectations. And so let me talk a little bit about that. So again, we'll use Mr. Beast as the example, but it's really applicable to anything you do within marketing, which is I've just set you up for something via an incredible hook, which is the thumbnail and the title or whatever that may be in every whatever medium you're trying to do a great job of. Now I have to like make sure that you know that I've met that expectation. So if you go watch Mr. Beast videos, the thing you'll see in the first 20 seconds is he sets up the entire rest yes. of that video. He pre- he does an incredible preview. He says, we've just bought 
a million balls and we put them in this pool and that someone's going to jump in and try and win a million dollars, right? Whatever it may be. And so you're like instantly engaged because I've clicked on it for this reason and you just set it up and you're going to give me that payoff. And then the other thing he does is he exceeds your expectations. So he has all of these kind of like things you were not expecting throughout the video. And he teases always a big payoff at the end because he knows that his core metric is watch time and whatever the metric is usually some sort of engagement metric. And so he really kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat and keeps on teasing this payoff at the end. And so if you think about that as a marketer, I'm trying to create this thing. Okay, look, what's my inputs? Well, the core thing I need to do is get you to at least click on this and give me some amount of time. The next thing I need to do is like, make sure you know that I'm going to meet your expectations within the first five to 10 seconds of you consuming that content. But I actually want you to stay engaged and I want to exceed those expectations. So I keep on teasing an incredible payoff that you did not expect when you clicked on whatever link you clicked on to consume this kind of medium from me. So you're saying the key thing you have to do is deliver on the hook and you have to deliver on the hook immediately. Immediately. Whether it be an email, whether it be an ad, whether it be a YouTube video, doesn't matter, actually. You have to say, here's the hook, which is essentially the promise. And this is how I'm going to deliver on this promise if you keep engaged and paying attention to what we're doing. Yeah, I'll give you a really good example, actually. It's completely different than this, but it's still applicable to people who are trying to build businesses, which is sign-up flows, right? Oh, yeah. In a bottoms-up SaaS world, you'll see a lot of these kind of, hey, sign up in less than 30 seconds. It's really easy and frictionless. And you go in and the experience is nothing like that. Like on the first screen, you're struggling to figure out like, what the hell do I do in this first screen? And I give you all of this data. It doesn't feel like the thing that you've just told me it is. And so if you're going to set someone up, you have to deliver on that instantly. I think that's true on anything that we try to create for consumers because they have just so much more options within the marketplace today. Uh, I could not agree more. Okay, so we talked about the hook. We talked about delivering on the hook. We'll be right back. But let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes. Exploring the Psychology of Influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the art of intelligence, this episode is packed with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. What is your next big Mr. Beast takeaway? Okay, cool one that we talked about a lot, which is everything goes pop culture, right? Yes, I love this. And so in all content verticals, eventually things will go much more pop culture. That's in part because we're going to see many more Gen Z and millennials and uh, you know younger people take the reins of all of the marketing channels. 
And if you look at fintech, fintech is a really great microcosm for like how this is going to look. I think fintech has gone very pop culture online. And so one of the key things you want to do is know what trends your audience are really obsessed with at the moment and how you can lead into them. So my favorite Mr. Beast video is a really great example of this, which is the Squid Game video, which is, I think, his most successful to date. Yeah, it is. It's awesome. think about how quickly he turned this around. Like, it's actually mind-boggling. So the show comes out, gets popular. He says on Twitter, I'm going to recreate the entire Squid Game. Everyone's like, no, you're not. That's just totally nuts. And so what he does is over four weeks, he manages to get a cast of 500 people. Crazy. Like he, so he manages to get 500 people, contestants. He manages to recreate the entire set. And I know he has these kind of big sets dotted around the US that he uses as locations. He manages to edit the video, all of that within four weeks to like plug into that global trend. And it cost him $4 million to make he had about a hundred people who worked on the video. A hundred people. Bananas. That's like the difference, right? He has gone like TV production style. And that video has to date over 257 million views. I remember when he released that and everyone, like literally everyone on Twitter is like, this guy is nuts, but like- In the best good way. Nuts. In the best way possible nuts. <laughs> like in the best way. And like, I think people found it very inspirational, like the way he was able to do that. And so like just two things in that, which is, how do I lead into trends and how do I do things in a better and differentiated way than anything else that anyone else can do? Well, I, I think your lead point here, which is everything's moving popular culture and aligning what you're doing with culture is everything and will increase your relevancy, increase your engagement. Why doesn't everybody do it? Is then the follow-up question to that, right? Like, well, duh, like, yeah, that seems obvious, Kieran. Sure, I want to do that. Most people and most brands don't do that because inherently most people and brands are about themselves, Mm. right? They're self-involved. And to be about culture, you need to be about others, right? You need to be about a community. You need to be about the society in which you're participating. And that is where everybody is fundamentally falling short here. And my recommendation is to understand, oh, what is happening in culture and how can I participate in culture? Because the reality is, Most of you watching this, you're building a brand, either a personal brand or a corporate brand or what have you, that's boring. That's not good enough. And it's not good enough because you're just talking about things you want to talk about that are only relevant to you versus what is actually relevant to the world, what's actually relevant to culture, right? right? And Mr. Beast did a great job of saying like, oh, the world is caring about Squid Games more than anything right now. Let me take on a big operational challenge to make that happen and to take advantage of that trend in the world. You and I even see that. We've been talking a lot more about AI recently because the world is obsessed with AI and people are totally like, it's our highest engagement episodes. We're seeing a ton of great results. And if you are not agile and you're not understanding what the world wants, you're just missing the entire boat on that stuff. I think a lot of times brands don't do it because they're not that good at it, right? You don't want to see B2B brands come out and go, hey, like, take our quiz and figure out what White Lotus character your product is. <laughs> no, that's that's bullshit. I can tell you exactly why they don't do it. You think brands are very good at doing that? I don't think brands are good at it. I think the reason that they're not is not that. Okay. The reason is that process kills creativity. You need process to scale creativity, but process also kills creativity. And so what happens is a brand has a process that they have to go through. And so the two things either happen. Either it's like, well, I can't go and jump on this trend because I've got this current process of this other thing that I'm doing happening and I have to finish it. Or they say, oh, I can't go jump on this trend because I have this process and this process takes 12 weeks. And by the time that 12 weeks is over, the trend is going to be gone. And so... Instead of saying, oh, no, we have to do this in a week, 
and we have to build a new process, they just say no, right? And over-processitizing and becoming indentured to a process versus the value of an idea and the execution of that idea is why most companies, most brands fail at this stuff. I also think that there is just a gulf between people who can create something meaningful that plugs into a trend and someone who creates something that is pretty whack. Yeah, well, the, the other thing there is people are afraid to be whack and they're afraid to be wrong. Well, maybe that's it. And maybe, they just don't try. They just don't try. I think I'm in the wrong there, actually. You are. You totally are. I think we should give ourselves more a leeway to be whack because without being like terrible yeah. at something, we're never going to figure out how to be good at something. Well, you know what we should do? We should do an episode that is like, we take like five whack marketing examples or stunts. And we just go back and said like, oh, with these tweaks, it would have been awesome. Oh, I like that. Right? Because often the stuff that isn't good is close. It's just like, if you tilt it 20 degrees, it would have been amazing. Yeah. And I think we need to celebrate the people who are willing to take the risk and fall flat. So the culture and integrating with culture, Mr. Beast is huge at that. And I think that is a great example. Squid Game video, dope, dope example of pulling that off. Right. And the last one is actually uh, non-controversial and probably will take us a second to get through, but it's not a, a pretty good <laughs> reminder, actually. I thought it was just a good reminder, good stat. It's how do I build a content engine that can scale multi-language? So Mr. Beast. Oh, I, I was going to bring this up if you were going to talk about it. This is huge. I hadn't realized that all of his growth in 2021 came from non-English. Yeah. And actually a lot of it came from Spanish. And so here's what I love about Mr. Beast and just people like him in general. He is just like a true entrepreneur. So he was like, okay, well, you know, 5% of the, the world's population speaks English, 3.7% speak English as a secondary language. So I cover 8.7% of the population of the world in terms of English language. So I'm missing out on a big portion of my market. And so we figured out how to go non-English. Like, cool thing is the person who dubs his voice in Spain actually is the person who dubs for Spider-Man. And so Mr. Beast oh, and cool. Spider-Man in Spanish sound the same. But he figured out how to do this again really, really well, like he does with everything else. And so now he's built his own localization service mm -hmm. and he actually works with other creators to help them go non-English, multi-language. So he's actually built a pretty big business out of it. But just a really great reminder of, you know, for all brands, you can actually go non-English much faster than your product can if you can Way figure faster. out how to build a content engine that scales across languages. The people who are really great at things, they always start with the back of the napkin envelope math. And they just say, hey, here's the opportunity, you know, of what we would need to do. It's like, oh, I, I think for Mr. Beast, it's like I want billions of people to subscribe to my channels. Well, oh, that's not possible if I'm only doing it in English, right? And they just look at the facts and then they make strategic decisions based on those facts. The other thing they're great at is like not skimping. When most companies that I've ever talked to, like internationalization, localization is an afterthought. It's like, how can I spend as little money uh, as possible on this? And Mr. Beast is out here saying like, no, 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 I'm gonna get the voice dubber for Spider-Man to be my voice dubber because I'm not going to skip on this because I know that reaching the Spanish speaking world is huge for me and huge for my growth. And I want to be the best channel, not just in the English speaking world, but in the entire world, which means I need to win Spanish, German, French, Japanese, Chinese, uh, or, you know, Mandarin, etc. And I think that is the opportunity that he knows that honestly, so many people I talk to don't appreciate. And they get very obsessed with the English market and the English language and not understanding enough the internationalization opportunity that's there. Right. And also, it's super cool to be Spider-Man, <laughs> have the same voice as Spider-Man, right? So, but in, in all seriousness, 
One of the things we know is that the Spanish-speaking world consumes content at a much higher rate than any other culture in the world. And so once you know these habits that people have, you can make just much smarter strategy decisions. Right. My core takeaway after all these lessons, Karen, because I think you gave people some really great lessons, is that Mr. Beast is winning because he has found the ability to align creativity with process, right? He can do really crazy, creative things, invest much bolder than most people. But he has this crazy backbone of process to turn the Squid Game shoots around really quick, to internationalize his content at real scale. He's found the way to do both. And to do both of those things, how you truly build something great and something remarkable. I agree. I think a really great role model, just in terms of the iterations, the grinds, And I think there's a lot of focus on how do I mimic Mr. Beast to be an incredible YouTube creator? And that will work really well. But I think it's really interesting to look at Mr. Beast as an entrepreneur, as a marketing-minded person, and try to figure out how we can improve our craft as marketers by just distilling down what he does really, really well. For everybody watching on YouTube, please subscribe. Thank you so much. We love Mr. Beast. We love learning from people who are great at their craft. He is clearly one of them. And we will see everybody very soon on Marketing Against the Great. 